0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 71, entitled, What Does Son of God Mean in John's Gospel? Part 8 of 10. As always, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus, Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I am your host. If this is your first time to the podcast, welcome. Happy to have you. Be sure to subscribe so that you will not miss out on future episodes. And if you are a regular listener, thanks for listening and welcome back. What does it mean when Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life? Can a human being actually claim that no one can have access to the Father except through Him? What about Jesus' claims to speak the words of God? Doesn't this make Him God? These are some fascinating questions that come out of our passage today. We are in the midst of our study that seeks to better understand what Son of God means in the Gospel of John. Does Son of God refer to the second person of the Trinity? Is Son of God someone who is co-equal with the Father? Is Son of God a title that presupposes a personal pre-existence in heaven prior to becoming human? Let's find out in today's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Let's begin reading our passage from John chapter 14, starting in verse 4. Jesus speaking, And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. In greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's John 14, verses 4 through 13. Based on this passage of Scripture, we can organize the meaning of Son of God into three discernible summaries. Let's check them out in detail. Our first point today is the Son of God is the representative agent of the Father. The representative agent of the Father. Some of the clearest and boldest statements regarding Jesus' position as the agent of God appear in our present passage. It is important that we examine them in detail. Our passage begins with Jesus telling his disciples that they know the way where he is going. 14 verse 4. Way, of course, refers to a road or a path and was a regular metaphor within the Hebrew Bible referring to the way of life that the righteous people would walk in their relationship with the God of Israel often calling this way or walk the halakha from the Hebrew verb halak which means to walk Thomas speaking on behalf of the disciples responds to Jesus by stating that they do not know where Jesus is going and thus they don't know the way. John 14, verse 5. In the next verse, Jesus clarifies what he meant, stating that he is the way, the truth, and the life. More on these three metaphors later. Then Jesus underscores what he means with these three metaphors, especially with the way. Quote, no one comes to the Father except through me, End quote. If the goal is to have access and to know God the Father, whom Jesus calls the only true God later in John's Gospel, then they absolutely now must go through the Son of God. Jesus here functions as an exclusive agent, saying something that no other human agent of God ever could say Yes, Adam was a Son of God who ruled on God's behalf. Yes, Moses was called God and shared in God's mighty works. Yes, even the judges were called God and shared in God's role in judging the people. And yes, even the Davidic king was called God and shared in his worship. There are many agents of the Father, but Jesus in John 14 and verse 6 is claiming to be the exclusive agent. No one comes to the Father except through the Son of God. So the Son of God is functioning as the truly authorized revealer of the Father, representing the Father to the disciples in a way that far exceeds the other human agents whom I just listed. So this is an exalted thing to say about the Son of God, but it doesn't suggest that the Son of God is co-equal to the Father. The Son acts more like an intermediary between God and the world. Let's just call him the middle man, pun intended. Neither does Jesus' claim indicate that the Son of God is the second member of the Trinity. Why would people desire access to the first person of the Trinity, the Father, and have to go through the second person of the Trinity, the Son, in order to get to the first person? There doesn't seem to be any discernible logic in that understanding of God, nor is it ever stated as such in the Gospel of John. It is better to take the Gospel of John at its word. And the Gospel of John calls the Son of God a human being over a dozen times. The Son of God is a highly exalted human revealer of the Father. Jesus can't even go so far as to say that those who truly know him, the Son of God, have seen the Father, John 14, verse 7. This recalls a foundational passage back in John chapter 1, verse 18, where no one has seen God, but Jesus explains and exegetes the Father. This is truly the role and function of an agent in the Jewish world. It is both true that no one has actually seen God, but Jesus represents and embodies God in such a way as the Son of God that people do, in fact, see and experience the Father in and through Jesus. Philip now speaks up for the disciples, stating that it will be enough if Jesus shows the disciples the Father. Verse 8. However, Jesus expects his disciples to understand what the readers of the Gospel of John have already known back from John 1.18, that the one who has seen Jesus has seen the Father, John 14, verse 9. Jesus represents the Father as the true and exclusive agent in such a way that people can actually experience what God is like by looking at Jesus. Of course, no one confused Jesus with the Father, and the disciples certainly didn't misunderstand this point, despite their many other misunderstandings. They didn't misunderstand Jesus as saying that Jesus was God the Father. A Son of God speaks as the genuine revealer of the Father, but this doesn't go beyond the bounds of what an agent does an agent being one who is both distinct from God and one who fully represents God to others. As the true agent of the Father, Jesus is best understood in a high human Christological paradigm rather than a Trinitarian model. Our second point today is the Son of God is dependent upon the Father. An agent might well be empowered by one who sent and commissioned him, but an agent is still subordinate and dependent upon his sender. As Son of God, Jesus is truly the authorized revealer of the Father, but Jesus is unable to perform his works and speak his words apart from a genuine dependence upon God. After boldly declaring that the person who sees Jesus also sees the Father fully represented, he states that, "...the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative." John 14, verse 10. The Son of God is still obedient and subservient to the Father, acting as a loyal and faithful Son. The words are not Jesus' own words, They belong to the Father, and Jesus only speaks them under the direction and initiative of the Father. Clearly, this indicates the subordination of the Son of God to the Father, not some co-equality of the Father and the Son. Jesus goes on further and notes that the Father who is abiding in the Son is actually the one doing the words and deeds. Specifically, John 14, verse 10 ends by saying, The Father abiding in me does his works. This is critically important, and we cannot leave this statement unexamined. It is important that we note what Jesus is saying and what he is not saying. Jesus is saying, as the human Son of God, that the Father is indeed abiding in Jesus. Now, this sort of statement might make some feel uncomfortable, but let's go back and recall John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully expressive of God. The Word, being the personification of God's powerful and creative speech, is really the spoken utterance of the Father. The Word is not a separate person from the Father, For the Word is the Father's own utterance. Of course, John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh in the human Jesus, making the Son of God the embodiment of the Father's powerful speech. This is how our present passage can say that the words that the Son of God says are not spoken on his own initiative, but... The Father abiding in Jesus performs them. So, the human Son of God is indeed the embodiment of the Father's words. And as the authoritative revealer of the Father, Jesus speaks the words when the Father wills it so. Put differently, the Son of God is not speaking the words of God because he is in fact God himself but rather because he is dependent upon the Father's indwelling and abiding in Jesus the Son. It needs to be admitted that Jesus, as a human being, is the embodiment of the Father's words and works. However, we need to contrast the Father abiding in Jesus with other competing Christologies. Let's start with the most prominent one, the Trinitarian model. The Trinity teaches that God the Son became human in the person of Jesus. But Jesus did not say in John 14.10 that the Son abiding in me does his works. He said that the Father abiding in me does his works. So even the Trinity's own claim on incarnation contradicts Jesus' own exalted statement of himself. We can also look at the Arian Christology, belonging to the Jehovah's Witnesses, where they regard Jesus as the embodiment of Michael the Archangel. But Jesus didn't say that Michael the Archangel abiding in me does his works. Jesus said that the Father abiding in me does his works. What does this mean for Son of God and what Son of God means in the Gospel of John. It indicates that the Son of God speaks and performs the words and deeds of the Father because the Father abides in Jesus. This does not take away from the Son of God's humanity. It demonstrates that the Son of God is the most empowered human being in existence. The Son of God functions as the authoritative mouthpiece of the Father's words, one who is obedient and dependent upon the Father's leading and abiding presence in order to speak and act. Our third point today is the Son of God is the embodiment of God's personified lady wisdom. Jesus is the embodiment of God's wisdom. There are two points already mentioned that intersect in a crucially important way. First, we have the exalted claim by Jesus in 14, verse 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the second is in John 14, 10, where he says, The words I speak, I do not say in my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Both passages... 14, verse 6 and fourteen ten, in their own way point back to the prologue of John's Gospel, where the human Jesus is described as the embodiment of God's personified Word. The Word became flesh. What many casual readers of the Gospel of John are unaware of is that at the time of the writing of the Gospel of John, the personified Word slash utterance of God was understood as overlapping the functions of God's personified wisdom. Wisdom being the wise interaction and instruction of God with his creation. Both word and wisdom were personified attributes of God. And in fact, there are more parallels to things said in the Gospel of John with Jesus' personified wisdom than with God's personified Word. Yes, the things that are described of Jesus in the Gospel of John better reflect wisdom sayings than word sayings. Lady Wisdom is the stronger parallel than the personified Word. Many casual readers of the Gospel of John are unaware of this. So while John 1.14, for example, says that the Word became flesh, Early readers would have very easily understood that as also saying that wisdom became flesh. Jesus is the embodiment of God's word and God's wisdom. This helps us understand John 14 verse 6, where Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. All three of these metaphors were used to describe, guess who, lady wisdom in biblical wisdom literature, but they have much weaker parallels when one looks for the personified word in wisdom literature. Consider these passages about Lady Wisdom. Again, these passages are about the personification of Lady Wisdom, God's wise interaction and instruction to his world. Proverbs 3.17 says, Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. We also see in Proverbs 8, where Lady Wisdom speaks, Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, listen to Lady Wisdom, for blessed are they who keep my ways. That's Proverbs 8, verse 32. Moving on to the book of Sirach, chapter 6, verse 26, it says, Come to her, come to Lady Wisdom, with all your soul, and keep her ways with all your might. So there we can see that Lady Wisdom was described as the one with the way to God. And now Jesus is claiming to be the way. Let's move on to the truth. Proverbs 8, 7 says, For my mouth, wisdom speaking, will utter truth. In Sirach chapter 4, we read, For wisdom becomes known through speech and education through the words of the tongue. Never speak against the truth but be ashamed of your ignorance. Sirach chapter 4 verses 24 through 25. And in wisdom of Solomon chapter 6, it says, I will tell you what wisdom is and how she came to be. And I will hide no secrets from you, but I will trace her course from the beginning of creation and make knowledge of her clear, and I will not pass by the truth. Wisdom of Solomon chapter 6 verse 22. So there we can see that Lady Wisdom was also described with God's truth. And we can come to life. Proverbs 3.18 says that she, Lady Wisdom, is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Proverbs 3.18. And in Proverbs 8, verse 35, Lady Wisdom speaks and says, For he who finds me, he who finds Lady Wisdom, finds life, and obtains favor from Yahweh. Proverbs 8, verse 35. As we can see, the metaphors way, truth, and life were all formally spoken of God's personified wisdom prior to the Gospel of John being written. Jesus as wisdom become flesh, speaks as the human embodiment of God's wise interaction with the world. Lady Wisdom's ways are to be kept. So the Son of God is the way to the Father. Lady Wisdom's truth is God's truth. So the Son of God is the truth that brings people to the Father. And Lady Wisdom is a tree of life. And thus Jesus is the recipient of God's life-giving prerogative. Jesus says all the things lady wisdom said, because He is the embodiment of lady wisdom, or wisdom become flesh. Some of these points were hinted earlier in the prologue, like John chapter one and verse four, where it says, "In him was life in John 1:14, where the word became flesh, the one who is full of grace and truth so there we have life and truth and many other references to Jesus being the embodiment of Lady Wisdom are scattered throughout the Gospel of John but John 14 verse 6 is best understood in my opinion as the Son of God speaking as the embodiment of God's personified wisdom what does it mean for the identity of the Son of God to say these things well since Lady Wisdom was a personification in the passages we looked at, Proverbs, Sirach, and Wisdom of Solomon, and not actually a person distinct from God, then this does not point to a literal pre existence with God in heaven prior to his birth. It points rather to an exalted status of the Son of God. Others before Jesus were regarded in Judaism as the embodiment of lady wisdom, such as the obedient women in Proverbs 31, Simon the high priest in the book of Sirach, and Sarah, Abraham's wife, in the writings of Philo. Nobody thought that these people were co-equal with the Father or additional persons within the Godhead. They were human beings living out wisdom's teachings which were the very teachings of God. So, Jesus is the Son of God who is the locus of God's wisdom and God's words, but doing so as a genuine human being. In conclusion, we have observed that John chapter 14 says much about Jesus as Son of God in his relationship to the Father. In fact, One cannot understand what Son of God means in the Gospel of John without clearing up the Son's relationship with the Father. First, we noted that the Son of God acted as the exclusive agent of the Father, revealing the Father truly and authentically. No one can access the Father without experiencing the Son of God. The two are related, but Jesus is still the revealing agent of the Father. Second, the Son of God referred to one who was obedient and dependent upon the Father. The Father abiding in Jesus speaks his words through the Son as well as performs the Father's own deeds. Jesus is a willing and obedient human vessel. In his obedience, the Son of God demonstrates his subordination to God the Father. Lastly, we saw that the Son of God's claims to be the way, the truth, and the life derived from statements made by Lady Wisdom, God's personified, wise interaction with the world. Jesus is what we might call wisdom become flesh, the climactic human embodiment of God's wise words and actions. But Lady Wisdom is a personification not a separate person from God. So being the embodiment of wisdom does not suggest or hint at any personal pre-existence of the Son of God. Rather, Jesus is at the end of a line of other human beings described as Lady Wisdom's embodiment in Judaism. Acting as an agent, a dependent son, And as the human embodiment of God's personified wisdom, Jesus fits best into a high human Christology rather than a Trinitarian or Arian Christology. Please look forward to the following two episodes where we will wrap up our study on what Son of God means in the Gospel of John. And if you think this podcast might speak truth in the lives of your friends, please feel free to share it. If you enjoy the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, please consider supporting us. You can check out this episode description or the attached Google document for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Again, my name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.